Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today's episode of JOSPT Insights is another in our collaboration with IFOMPT and World Physiotherapy, where we're working together to bring you coverage of important issues in global musculoskeletal healthcare. Associate Professor Paolo Sanzo from Lakehead University in Canada and Vice President of IFOMPT asks the questions of Professor Kim Bennell. Kim is a Professor of Physiotherapy from the University of Melbourne in Australia. Now, many in our community have pivoted their practice to include telerehabilitation during the coronavirus pandemic, but did you know that some folks have been delivering musculoskeletal rehabilitation via digital means for years? And Professor Kim Bennell and her team have been at the forefront of research in telerehabilitation, particularly for osteoarthritis care. So is telerehabilitation here to stay? And if you're thinking about embedding telerehabilitation into your clinical practice, what are the important issues that you need to consider? Let's hear from Professor Bennell. Our guests will share insights, create some thought-provoking self-reflection, and generate innovation and ideas to guide your clinical decision-making process wherever you practice. Kim, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, we certainly are in a a very different time that has really affected us individually, has affected our families, and has certainly affected our clinical practices, no matter what area that uh, we practice in. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the key ingredients that a clinician needs to think about when looking at implementing some form of virtual assessment or treatment. I suppose it all comes back to determining the patient's suitability to undertake physiotherapy care via telehealth. And so you may have already decided that they're they're not suitable. They may have filled in some pre-screening questionnaire and you decided that really this is something that you think needs to have a face-to-face appointment and so you wouldn't necessarily go ahead with the appointment. On the other hand, you may speak to the person and do a very good uh, assessment video conference or telephone, and then decide that, yes, this is something that you can manage on online or, you know, let's start with management online and then it would be best to have a blended intervention where we see you face-to-face uh, or you may decide that, look, this is something that I really need to see you or you need to go and see someone else. So it really comes down to, I think, a, a very good subjective assessment and then performing some assessment that you can do within the constraints, obviously, of not having hands-on to decide around the patient's suitability. How do you get started and how do you get it off the ground? You know, what do you do first to lay the groundwork for a successful delivery? Do you have to think about technology or platforms or space considerations, lighting, literacy, any specialized equipment? Yes, there is lots to think about. And I know that that's been the issue for many physiotherapists. So the first one is to check around compliance issues. You you need to be sure that your regulations to practice as a physiotherapist in your jurisdiction covers you. So your insurance, your registration, do they cover you to practice telehealth delivery? Because if they don't, then obviously you shouldn't be performing those. So the first thing really is to check all of the regulations and your insurance in your area. 
also where the patient is because you might be in one particular region but if the patient is in another region and is subject to those laws then that also carries over as well so you need to think about not just where you are but where your patients are as well so that's the first thing I think is to check that that's in place and then obviously you've got to look at how you're going to deliver that care and it comes to what technology platforms are you going to use? Is it just going to be the, the telephone? Is it going to be video conferencing? Is it going to be both? If it's going to be video conferencing, what platform are you going to use? There's quite a few commercial platforms that are out there that have um, you know some advantages because they've already built in some of the aspects around thinking about how you're going to have someone in a waiting room, how the, you know, the instructions that go out to them, setting up appointments. So some of those have those advantages, but you might decide you're going to set up your own around Zoom or use some other telehealth. And so, again, you need to look at that and make sure that they meet privacy, patient privacy and confidentiality requirements as well. So you need to ensure that they do meet those. And, again, different regions have different requirements as to what's going to be uh, legislation or recommendations in those areas. So you need to check all that out as well and then look at what you decide you're going to go ahead with. Do they meet those requirements in terms of data storage, data transmission? So then once you've sort of decided on your, your platform, again, yes, I said, taking into account how are you going to set it up so that patients receive their appointments and what happens on the you know, waiting room and, and, and how you're going to get consent. And then it really comes down to determining the patient's suitability. The next thing around it is, you know, you need to have the technical skills. So once you've decided on your platform, you need to start practising before you actually start using it with a, a real patient. So have a practice to make sure that you know how to use the technology effectively, you know how to use all the different functions within it, you know how to use the chat functions, you know how to use the sharing screen, you know how to troubleshoot. Uh, you then also have to ensure that you have material that you can send to your patients so that they understand and can learn how to, to do all of that as well during the actual consultation. So having the, the technical skills is really important. I think that it comes to the technical delivery or the telehealth delivery. And then, as you said, that's a lot of you know, setting up the, the, the environment. Have you got a professional-looking environment with the background not all cluttered? Do you have the camera that's appropriate and set up in the right place? Thinking about what you're wearing so you haven't got lots of clashing colours and distracting visuals. Thinking about turn-taking and communication. Communication skills are quite different when you're delivering telehealth. And then also you obviously have to advise the patient on that and you know, have some material that they can read and, and you have to help them troubleshoot as, as well. You need to ensure that you get a contact details of the patient in terms of patient safety. You know, what would happen if the person collapsed while you were doing the treatment? What would you do? So you need to have some next of kin or some someone else that you could contact. You need to be able to have the patient's contact details so that you could ring them. You need to you know, have gained consent, as I said, like you would, but you need to document that perhaps differently in a telehealth versus in a face-to-face. And then it sort of comes down to actually, you know, your assessment and diagnosis. And obviously you have to modify how you're doing it. You may need to have someone in there who can help the patient to perform some of the assessment tasks. You may ask them to help them do a particular task. So you, you need to change around how you might assess. And then obviously management 
again, you might be able to train up a carer or partner or family member to apply the, some of the treatment that you might um, want to do if they can't do it themselves. And then all the things, I suppose, around um, sort of the intervention and care planning and, and measuring outcomes. So as you said, there's a lot to think about um, when you're setting up a telehealth delivery mode over and above what you would do in your normal practice. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of different things and a lot of different considerations that may be unique to the uh, situation of the patient, to the situation of the clinician as well. So thank you for, for all of that. Now, why do you people think that tele-rehab is not as close as effective as in-person rehab? And how do you sell tele-rehab to your patients to gain their interest? That's a really great question because it is a marketing, um, something that we do need to market because many patients have the opinion that it's not going to be, how could it be, they're thinking, how could it be as effective? They think of physiotherapy and also physiotherapists themselves think of physiotherapy as a hands-on profession. So therefore, if you're removing the hands-on aspect of care, then surely it can't be as effective. But there is research really to show that you can get very good outcomes and also similar outcomes that can even be better with telehealth than with face-to-face. And there are a number of really key benefits for having care delivered via telehealth. I think what the COVID pandemic has done has shifted us, you know, maybe five years down the track into a, compressed it into a couple of months because people, physiotherapists who might not have tried it because they didn't think it was going to be as effective have now had to switch to it. And many have found that in actual fact, you know, that it is really effective. You know, the benefits around not having to travel, the fact that you don't have to, even if you're in a metropolitan area, the, the time saving from having to drive somewhere and sit and wait, and, and that's a really big benefit. You can do it from anywhere. So in some of our research findings, we had patients who were doing their consultations from a tent while camping. The, the benefits around the total concentration of the therapist, the therapist can't be going in and treating other patients at the same time. And it's when you're a therapist delivery, you really have to concentrate very much on what the patient's saying a lot more listening that probably goes into it so they feel like there's a lot more attention paid. The patient, you know, our qualitative research that we've done, a lot of the other benefits that were highlighted were that patients felt that it really shifted the power dynamics. They felt that, that rather than them going to see the physiotherapist in their rooms and the power perhaps being more with the physiotherapist, they felt like that the power shifting to the patient in that the therapist was coming into them, to them, into their own home. And that that made a real, I suppose, much more patient-centred care approach where they felt much more in control. Some of the other benefits that they also mentioned, uh, and as I said, some of the therapists, were that they really had to concentrate perhaps more on those key elements of education and exercise rather than some of the hands-on therapies, which for many of our conditions, particularly chronic conditions, are really adjunctive and not the core treatment. So it really shifted and forced therapists to deliver uh, those really core treatments. So I think selling around the benefits, the evidence that we have to show that it is effective, at the beginning they're sceptical and that goes from both the the patients and the physios, but after they experience, they really have this shift. Uh, So we have to sell that message that that it's not the poor second cousin treatment. It's It's a really viable and effective option for for patients to choose and in some cases not an option in cases like COVID 
it becomes the only way for many to access care. You know, many people like myself might be concerned that the rehab delivered over the telephone or or over the internet is not going to be as effective as the rehab delivered in person. And you started to summarize, you know, some of the research that's out there, but can you walk us through uh, the evidence for delivering rehab digitally and maybe highlight three key things for us to take from the evidence, three of the most important things, things that we can kind of use in our explanation to patients or to third-party payers or to regulatory bodies? There is an accumulating body of evidence. There's obviously areas that we need a lot more evidence for. We still need to do a lot more research into it, particularly studies where we do head-to-head comparisons of the same care delivered face-to-face versus the same care delivered via telehealth and doing some really direct head-to-head comparisons. But the studies where that has been done, as I said, these were done particularly in post-total joint replacement groups, cohorts, and they found that there was you know, no difference in sort of pain outcomes. And in fact, uh, systematic review found that there were greater benefits with the telehealth on function compared with face-to-face. So you know, not only can it be sort of similar to, but it also in some cases can be more beneficial than face-to-face care. So there's been quite a bit of work done in post-joint replacement populations. There's been work done in uh, you know, pulmonary rehab, in cardiac rehab, so in group settings as well, and they're, again, showing that to be effective and to, to give good outcomes when done in, for those particular conditions. There's, we couldn't really find much around back pain, so not as much around back pain, but certainly, you know, if you pull the literature together, there's quite a lot of evidence supporting its effectiveness, patient satisfaction, patient um, acceptability uh, as well uh, that goes along. So I think the key, you know, if you said the three key points is we do have evidence to support its effectiveness that have come from multiple studies, multiple clinical trials in different populations, not just musculoskeletal but other conditions as well in physiotherapy. It is also being shown to be acceptable to patients, you know, looking at the cost effectiveness. We need more research on this, but also, you know, it does start to show you the costs are reduced in terms of your know, travel times and, you know, where you can set up a clinic, you don't need to have you know, a whole range of base and, and so forth. So that can have benefits as well. It definitely makes us question the way that we've been doing things for many, many years. And, and hopefully many of us are going to take things you know, out of the current pandemic, and and it'll just continue to improve the practices and our methods that we currently use. Now, how do you maintain engagement with your patients during and after a consultation? Yes, so there's lots of ways that that can be done. I mean, you may have, you you might have seen them via teleconference or telephone, and then you, you can send patients, they might get reminder emails, they might be given, you know, access to uh, links to websites where they can work through other programs on their own. So, for example, we have some uh, pain coping skills training program. It's self-directed so and free, so patients can go to that and work through some other treatment in between sessions. We developed up a, an, an app program, an SMS text, which was around supporting patients to continue with home exercise. So it wasn't just reminder, but it was also geared at behaviour change. So a range of different ways that can keep patients involved. And there's also now a whole range of wearable technologies, obviously, so patients can use their smartphones or their Fitbits or their various apps 
that can be appropriate. So I think it's worth looking at the conditions that you see and the, the different types of management that you give and looking out there for some really good sort of evidence-based apps or uh, remotely delivered tracking devices or programs that can help them support what you have prescribed for them to do. Well, that's, those are some great suggestions to definitely try to integrate the technology and, and things that most people have in their, in their day-to-day lives and in, on their possessions usually at all times. Now, are there any populations where tele-rehab may not be appropriate? We've been working with some of the health insurers and they were sort of asking us questions about that, you know, what condition would not be suitable for telehealth sort of so that they might be thinking, okay, we'd fund it for, for example, knee osteoarthritis, but we might not fund it for ankle or whatever. But it really came down to that it's not really a condition per se, but it's attributes of the person and the condition and their setup and so forth. And so one of our PhD students is currently working on an international framework both for core capabilities for delivering telehealth, which is great for people to cover off on, but also as a companion piece to that, coming up with a patient suitability suitability matrix where you think about the different attributes that might make someone more or less suitable for telehealth delivery of care. So it might be that you think about, you know, can you assess this patient? The things that you need to do with regards to assessment, is that going to be able to be done? via telehealth. So, for example, I was talking to some of the rheumatologists and they were saying, look, for some patients with inflammatory conditions that you know newly presenting, we just can't do it via telehealth. We need to see them and do their blood and so forth. So thinking about is the assessment that you need to do something that you could do via telehealth and, and same with the treatment. Is the treatment that that person's going to need something that can be done via telehealth? And it may be that some of it, as I said before, some of it could be done but then others need a blended approach. So thinking about the assessment and the treatment, thinking about does the person have the, the technologies that you want to use? I mean, if they don't have access to a computer or a telephone, then that's not going to be suitable either. What about the socioeconomic things that are going on with that person? Is it going to be, is that going to get in the way? Is the person going to be able to use the, the technologies or you know, the intellectual level? Are they going to need someone to help them do it? Then there's all aspects around patient safety. Is it going to be safe to treat that patient via telehealth? So I think it's not really a um, condition. Uh, it's around taking it's part of the condition, but also the person thinking about the person that you're delivering it to uh, and what's going to be safe and necessary for them and taking all of that into account. You know, weighing up the, the benefits and how effective you're going to be and the risks. So weighing those all up together to see is it going to be you know, in favour of a, a safe and effective treatment or not, and then that will help you make the decision. And as I said, it may be that you might start some or you might need to see them face-to-face to begin with, but then you think, well, you know what, now we've treated you and now we can just touch base and see how you're going and tweak your and monitor, you know, progress your program, but we can do that easily via telephone. So it might start off with um, face-to-face and then morph into sort of some telehealth remotely delivered or it might start with remote and then go into telehealth or blended. So there's a whole range. It doesn't have to be a sort of an all or nothing. I think a lot of those points that you made are not just relevant for the current pandemic. When we put into the context of rural and remote communities, individuals that just can't travel for whatever reason, or some of the unique patients that we that we see, I think a lot of that information that you've 
provided has been absolutely wonderful. So thank you very, very much. Yeah, definitely. It's not just a COVID thing now. It's really something that we could be offering all our patients that even in metropolitan areas where, you know, travel and getting out of the house might be a problem for some people with, you know, transport and, and so forth. So thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.